0: Hello and welcome once again to episode 46 of Code Completion. We are a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name is Dimitri and I'll be your host once again for this episode and I'm joined today by my fellow completionist, Spencer. Hey there. Fernando. Hello, hello. And Ben. Hey, hey. So before we get, uh, before we get into our topics, it's time for our Indie App Spotlight. Uh, today we are checking out Jelly Cuts by Zachary Lineman, an iPhone and iPad app that makes it easy to create powerful system shortcuts. So Jellycuts allows coders to get the most out of shortcuts by allowing you to write shortcuts in the Jelly language instead of messing around with the clunky UI, giving you a natural environment for creatively bringing different parts of the system together. Jellycuts is completely free to try and has a pay what you want model uh, with one-time in-app purchases ranging from 299 to 1999. So if you've ever wanted to dive into shortcuts, please be sure to support Zachary by checking out Jellycuts. And if you are an indie developer, we want to hear from you. Please reach out to us on Twitter at CodeCompletion via DM so we can spotlight your app in the future as well. So today we thought we'd do a bit of a deep dive on SwiftUI, sharing our experiences uh, with it along the way. And if I remember correctly, of the bunch of us, Fernando was actually the first to use SwiftUI for something. And specifically, uh, that something was writing the SwiftUI lesson we taught Lambda. Uh, so why don't you share your thoughts on SwiftUI? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Hello, thank you. Yes, actually, yeah, that's that's a funny story. We're, we're all Lambda, X lambda here. Um, I remember we were talking about SwiftUI, up and coming, blah, blah, blah. And Ben, who was our boss, uh, basically said, any of you guys want to do a like, lesson on SwiftUI? And I was like, sure, that's got to be the easiest thing ever. <laughs>
2: famous <laughs> oh, last words right yeah
1: was i was i naive or what but uh i started out um i started out the lesson it was a relatively simple like we were i remember i got you, you all know how i'm just rambling oh my god so many so many memories um you all remember how difficult it is to create lessons right you're like yes this is going to be like 30 minutes and then it ends up being five <laughs> hours And then those five hours are basically 15 minutes of explanation. And you're like, oh, my God, please. And then you give the class and it's not 15 minutes. It's actually like 55. So it's like all weird and stuff. Um, But I remember going through SwiftUI and I was like, this is neat. Like, I remember I probably may have the project somewhere. I don't remember. But it was just displaying alias, explaining like... um, Generics, so opaque pick types, the difference between UI and Swift UI, uh, how to like, wrangle the data from like an API request to a model or view model, which will be a fun conversation in, in a bit, uh, <laughs> and then just displaying it in class. But then I also remember, and Dimitri is being very humble here, I remember being at like done 90 percent. And then being like, oh, damn, like the, the next 90% is just going to kill me. And so Dimitri came, came in and rescued me by helping with the second 90% of the lesson. <laughs> and overall, I had a really good time uh, with Swift SwiftUI. It, it was, I think I was still in the honeymoon phase and the example was very simple. So overall, I was like, this is really cool. The one thing I remember that I was like, huh, is that it used to be that if you didn't have the lazy keyword on a list, it would basically generate the whole list regardless of the amount of items, right? So if you had like 10,000 items, you would get like 10,000 views right off the get-go and scrolling would be very slow. So that was that's
0: the, for the stacks, uh, not the list. Oh, okay. The list is okay. lazy.
1: Well, now you've you've uh, ousted me. I haven't used to UI since probably since then. <laughs> no, I used it a little bit to to uh, play with widgets, uh, but then it just like disappeared from my life. So, but but I remember that that uh, lazy uh, lazy gate event being like, huh, this is kind of interesting in the not great kind of way. So, and
2: yeah. for those of you who may not have ever written like programming-related curriculum before, it is actually true that there is a second ninety percent of work that you have to do to finish a lesson's uh, planning. Um, yeah. It's 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 surprising, but but somehow he manages to fit that whole second ninety percent in there. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, uh,
1: in in the end, I'm really interested in, in like uh, hearing from you guys because I know. Uh, I, I know for sure that that you have more experience than I do on SwiftUI, especially Dimitri I think you're the one that's that's been using SwiftUI the most, right?
0: Yeah, so I've been living on SwiftUI for the past year, I would say and I haven't mm-hmm. touched UIKit in forever which is pretty funny because very recently I've had to dive back into UIKit and the last time I wrote UIKit code was in Objective-C, so <laughs> I, automatically I start putting in my square brackets and the compiler is like what are you doing?
1: we don't like the the marvel meme we don't do that here
0: exactly yeah
1: so but but tell us a little bit more like what uh the impressions that i have from swift ui let's start off with the with the fun stuff in my opinion Uh, the impressions that i have from swift ui is that i don't want to use it because
2: why so so give us give us a why what what what's specifically about it we nice. need a user story i just
1: Objectible. need I, yeah. <laughs> I need a user story that be that be brilliant i just need i just need the, the kids at Cupertino to get off my lawn and just come up with like a ui app kit framework that works i don't want to learn catalyst i don't want to learn swift ui i just want to build ui without like having to worry about stuff.
0: So let's start That's my with old what, man take. Sorry, what? let let's start with what makes SwiftUI really great, uh, awesome. and then we can slowly back back up towards the the dangerous aspects of like using it for everything and then it not fitting for everything. Um, so SwiftUI is really excellent when you need to make a custom view. So if you've ever needed to do custom view drawing and then uh, you start getting into the weeds of draw rect and drawing your strings and ca- manually calculating where things are going to lay out um, or putting many smaller labels together and kind of coordinating them all together. Uh, that gets really messy with UIKit, uh, but it's really simple to do with uh, SwiftUI. Namely, uh, it gives you some very basic layout primitives, an stack and a VStack, um, and there's no cost to nesting these as much as many times as you need to. Um, and that's really powerful because you can go ahead and visually see exactly what you're going to get as you're typing these uh, stacks out, uh, as you're modifying the spacing, as you're tweaking uh, the line mm-hmm. height of one text element compared to another. You don't have to build and run to see, oh, one more pixel down. Oh, I guess it was half a pixel. Uh, and then you kind of do that over and over again. You don't have to do that iteration with, the simulator or device you can go ahead and do it directly in xcode um, and oftentimes it doesn't have to recompile anything it will just notice that you've changed the parameter on something and you can go ahead and see the result immediately um, so i think that's where swift ui really really excels um, is those small very isolated components uh, that you can go ahead and reuse perhaps everywhere not only on the ios side but if you have a mac app on the mac side on tvOS. On the watch in the widgets um you can go ahead and reuse a lot of those components that are very simple and boiled down um and it's it's a pretty good solution and pretty good replacement uh for interface builder in that aspect
1: i i I will say that I have seen a ton of like gifs tutorials and and just videos of like people building some like insanely complex UI on SwiftUI, UI. And, and the constant feeling that I get when I watch one of those videos or, or images is like, how are they doing it? Because I, I envision trying to do it on a UI kit or app kit. And it's like, whoa, that would take me like a, a ton of time to just build that. So yeah, I can conc- see that.
2: As a concrete example, I spent the better part of the last year in Swift UI as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just actually was building a lesson for a little class that I'm teaching for. Underdog Devs, um, uh, which is an organization that Friend and I are involved with, um, an iOS lesson, and we're doing it in UIKit, and so I haven't touched UIKit in quite a long time, uh, and so I'm building this little lesson, and and I'm just trying to design a custom cell uh, in a table view, nothing nothing too fancy, um, and I'm doing it, and I'm like, oh, yeah, so I have to in, like, so I, st- I start putting the stuff into the storyboard cell, right, and then I start to kind of, like, I'll add some rules, and then it gets all wonky, and then I get red warrant like errors all (laughs) over the place and then it's like you need to adjust your content hugging priority and it's just like yeah i immediately just got so frustrated because it's like oh yeah this is this was my whole life i mean it still is basically as an ios dev if you're building like stuff like this is this is how this is right if you're if you're in this world and comparing that to a personal app that i've been working on recently um, based on some designs that a friend of mine who I'm working with who's a designer like he's built the Figma and then I'm implementing that Figma in code and I, we're doing the app in Swift UI and uh, and I built I built the entire cell that we need to display all the content we want to display and, and it looks exactly like the Figma and I did it in 15 minutes I mean it's it's once you get good at like like uh, Dimitri said like the H stacks the V stacks right the Z stacks Knowing how to arrange your content and group it together in a hierarchy that makes sense, um, that part of Swift UI is amazing and I think blows the doors off of wh- whether it be you know storyboard based auto layout constraints which are you know they have their pluses and their minuses, or if you're like, "No, screw that I'm not going to do anything in the storyboard I 'm going to do it all in code the the code based auto layout constraints are you know they're different and they have their own pros and cons but they don't hold a candle to to what you can accomplish with some h stacks and some v stacks and and some quick modifiers and and like for example taking a cell and putting a putting a colored stroke around the cell and the cell itself has uh, has rounded corners like doing that in UIKit would take forever. And doing it in in SwiftUI is three lines of code and it's done. And and like Timmy said, you get to see it immediately when the preview works, which is not all the time, but it's getting better. Um, you get to see it immediately as you do it, uh, and and your ability to kind of I would say the downside is that is that you don't have you you don't have that visual of the structure as much as you do in a storyboard so you have to like mm-hmm. kind of the matrix you have to like read the read the view code and visualize it in your head while also you know getting to see the finished product in the preview but going like well how do these things fit together that is something that you could kind of inspect in the storyboard and you can't really do that very easily because it's all just in code um, but in general i would say for speed and and particularly like prototyping you there's you you can't prototype any faster on any Apple platform than you can in SwiftUI. It's it's stunning how fast you can put something together, and not only does it look halfway decent, it looks production ready. I mean, it's the 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 prototype that you create can can be as fancy and as sort of production looking as you, as you want it to be, without really a whole lot of extra work. So, in that one regard, I would say that SwiftUI is is a thousand times better than than the way that we used to do it with UIKit, can, and I'm sure we'll get into the downsides. But <laughs> <laughs> when you're running <laughs>
1: when you're running
2: uh, the app, uh,
1: yeah. you can actually stop and view the view hierarchy and, and check out yes. the view hierarchy, right? Um, yes, you can. When you're when you're using the SwiftUI previews, like you don't get the view hierarchy. The, the view hierarchy is the code.
2: Yeah. So oh. yeah, when you're looking at the preview, okay. right? Like, so what you can do is you can. You can mouse over the preview, and you can kind of see how the code together. Yeah, and then vice versa. If you if you put your cursor on a piece of code, okay, that's it will like draw a bounding box around the thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's nice, but you don't get the hierarchy that you're talking about. You don't really get. Mm -hmm. That's what I was saying. It's like Mm -hmm. you kind of have to sort of have that scaffolding in your brain Mm -hmm. rather than. You know, like with auto layout in the storyboard, you can click on a view and then you can go look at its list and you can like mouse over them and they show you literally all of the constraints yep. and where they are yep. and all that, right? You don't really get that with, with uh, SwiftUI. Um, so that is a downside. But uh, And then I would also say the inspector, the view inspector you're talking about, because what it really is doing is it's grafting all of this onto Swift UI or sorry, UIKit components. You end up with like right. a whole bunch of container views and other things mm. that are like a bunch of intermediary things that you didn't build but that are still there to make it work. So even that is not as it's not as useful as as that same inspector was uh in UI kit just because you're like what is this 15 layers of <laughs> stuff that i didn't write, right? You can basically just ignore it, but the downside is it just it creates a lot more stuff you have to kind of sift through to get to the pieces that matter to you. Um but i have found uh, and you know maybe this is because i 'm not creating things complicated enough, but like I've found that i don't actually need to do as much of that kind of like runtime inspection of the view hierarchy with Swift UI because uh, because of that instant feedback that we're getting right where you type code and again if it works in theory it's showing you the preview immediately as you type it um, you it It kind of changes your your the way that you that you go about designing a view where mm-hmm. you start to think in modularity. You start to think in like let's build this little tiny thing and then let's let's put that on the preview. Okay, now let's wrap that in something that can then move it over here and then we'll start making room for this other thing and like you kind of uh you can kind of get into a flow state where where you're you're sort of playing to the strengths of the way mm-hmm. that it renders the preview such that you can kind of build it up over time and then because of that it creates for me, anyway, it kind of helps me create a mental model of the structure and the mm-hmm. hierarchy because I'm building it in a modular way, and then I I don't really need like the the runtime hierarchy inspector as like as much right because I've already got that mental model.
1: It's interesting. Uh, the the more the <laughs> the more you uh, you were talking about this, um, I think. A little bit of the uh, of the aversion that I feel towards swift u i is that auto layout is very easy to explain, but then yeah. you said the the red lines it's actually very hard to debug sometimes yes, Right? Because <laughs> the theory is so simple you just need x y right. width and height, so if you're doing right. something wrong, it's a lot of simple steps to get to to the right place it's just frustrating and swift u i it appears to me. That it's the other way around, where explaining it, at least in in my mind, is very complex, right? Yes. There's a lot of complexity hidden hidden away be, uh, beneath the uh, views, mm-hmm. but using it is very simple,
2: right? Yeah, yeah, and and also like with with particularly if we're talking with like a storyboard situation, right? You can explain like let's say we're trying to explain it to a junior you can explain how this works like you said right it's, it's very simple to explain uh click the, click the library button grab a label drag it in put it where you want it mm-hmm. uh you know add some constraints to do x y width and height you can explain the whole thing in five minutes and then of course it just like you know chess or whatever it's like easy to get the rules and in a lifetime to, easy like, to learn and, hard to master yeah get good at it right yep. um Whereas with SwiftUI, you're presented with a, you know, you're like, give me a new SwiftUI view, and it gives you a view struct, it gives you the body, and then it's just like, blink, blink, blink. And it's just like, okay, well, what do I put here, right? Yeah, and yeah, right. they have ways that you can like drag things, but nobody uses that. Like it's, it's, it's pure code. It's all in code. And so if you don't know about H stacks and V stacks and, and texts and, you know, images and how all that works, if you don't have that recall, then you're just going to be staring at a cursor. Wondering what's possible. And I will say that earlier on in my Swift UI journey, that was really frustrating. Because mm. not not only because it's not there, like, it's not readily there for me to use. I'm, like, frustrated that I'm basically a junior again. <laughs> <laughs> I already went through all this. Why am I starting over? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but also, like, it's just not intuitive. Like, there, there's, there's... And, like, how could it be? I mean, I, I don't... I'm not blaming them. Like, I don't think that there's any way that they could have made it just like effortlessly intuitive but um but it was really frustrating because it's like i know what i want but i have no idea how to get there um whereas with i feel like with the storyboard and ui kit you can just pull up the library and be like well i want a table i don't know does this work and you just like grab a table and drag, drag and it drop. in and you're like, the yeah, and you're just like right you just mess around and so whereas Whereas what I'm doing a lot with SwiftUI, I mean, even now is uh, like something that I want. I'm like, eh, how does this work? I will just Google it, right? It's all about your how good your Google searching is and whether or not you can pinpoint with a Google search the thing you're looking for. And then you you're like, give me an example. Okay, cool. Let me follow that. Let me follow that and modify it. And now, now it works. And now I can also kind of add that to my toolbox of next time this happens, I'll know what to do. But... I don't. It's it's definitely I think a higher barrier to entry. I'll say, and I think made worse if you are already a dev and already particular like a UI kit dev because you have all this baggage, right? Like yeah, yeah. If if you're a total greenhorn junior, you're just like tell me what to do, yeah, right? and I'll just do it. But for us, we're like oh, but like, but auto layout, like why can't we? You know, like we have all these like hangups about why. Why can't it? Is what you said in the first five minutes. Why can't it work more like the way I already know how to know right, how it works? Yeah. Right.
1: because so. I think I think it's it's just uh, at least personally I think that's part of the uh, my mental block with it. I think SwiftUI is is mm-hmm. a great technology. It's just that uh, I just I don't want to feel like a junior again, Ben. It's taken me like more than ten years to get to this right. point. And now we're all like, yeah, I think, I think that let me just get in my soapbox and then I'll ask you a good question about hidden complexity. But it's like, like everyone's saying like, oh, Swift UI is going to take over the world. Swift UI, all uh-huh. the things. And I'm like, no, get away from my job security. And yeah, it hurts.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's just like when Swift launched, right? I mean, I was, I was in the conference room of the company I worked for and we were watching Dub Dub and they're like, oh, by the way we created a brand new programming oh, language and I'm like I just got halfway decent at Objective-C. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you ruining this for me? <laughs> so you know it ended up being a, a very long story that, that it wasn't like you had to switch everything overnight but but yeah I, I can totally feel you on that on that like that feeling of not defeat but just like that where you feel like you maybe are starting to crest the top of the hill and then you you look up and you're like oh there's like 500 more feet of hill now like it just
1: <laughs> but it's like somebody put the next mountain in yeah. there. like there was nothing <laughs> yeah. i could see the sky I was almost there and then <laughs> there's a bigger mountain right in front of me uh-huh. yeah <laughs>
2: it's, exactly. it's
1: just fun uh but yeah it, it, anyway uh, the, the 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 interesting part and and i really like hearing about your experiences is that uh it feels to me that that my mis- mental misunderstanding was also that uh, the internet, and Twitter especially, we all know how it polarizes oh, people. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It gets... Uh, all I heard on my timeline was Swift UI, all the things. And I was like, mm-hmm. I don't think that's right. I don't think that's ever right. Not even yeah. with Swift. I'd, that's for another... Right. Yeah, but uh, but now that I'm hearing like, no, this is really, really good for like... If we have a view that we need to reuse, I can get that up, production ready in 15 minutes. I think that's fantastic. That, that actually wants me... Uh, makes me want to learn SwiftUI like right now. Like, okay, let's. what can I reuse from my views uh, and rewrite in SwiftUI? So that's really interesting. Um, Dimi, have you felt like the same way as Ben during your ex- uh, experience working with SwiftUI?
0: Yeah, so as Ben said, it really is like building up that recall that you need to know yeah. what views are available and more importantly, what view modifiers are available. So the views, <laughs> yes. you can probably count on both hands. Uh, the ones that you'll use on a daily basis. It's not uh, very many, honestly. Um, And uh, especially if you're working on like small individual components, you don't even need the iOS 14 or 15 stuff. You can go ahead and use the foundational pieces that came in iOS 13 um, and macOS 10.15 to go ahead and build something that you can go ahead and use right now and backwards deploy to whatever version your app Uh, still runs on because that was the biggest sticking point when SwiftUI just came out is well I need to support older versions of the OS and I can't use this Uh, but now now that iOS 13 is the the base uh, that's that's a fairly reasonable uh, starting point now that we have two three years of improvement Um, so uh, if you if you can build up a repertoire in your head of what views are useful where and how to use them Uh, then you can get up and running very quickly, like Ben said. Uh, The biggest setback, though, is learning about all the view modifiers. And that is going to be the hardest part of using SwiftUI well, because there are three, four, five, six different ways to separate two views uh, by a certain amount of space. Um, Some of them are better than others, and you're going to get much better code and much better legibility by using some methods over others. Um, but the fact that you can do it in 17 different ways, uh, is a good way to get confused quickly, especially (laughs) if you don't understand how each of those ways manipulates it slightly differently. Like you can offset a view, you can put padding, you can put a spacer view, you can put spacing in your H stack. Like there's so many different ways that you can go ahead and manipulate this. Um, and it can really be a gotcha. Like for instance, uh, a big one is if you put an image as your button label, uh, you'll notice that sometimes the button works and sometimes it doesn't. Can you guess why?
2: I'm guessing the touch target on the button is inter- is like being it's... interrupted by the image. No, it's
0: the, exact Im- it's the exact image. So if you click on the black part of the oh, image, oh, right, that yeah. will activate the button. If you click on the empty part of yeah, the image, yeah, it won't right. because that's yeah. what you said. You said, here's an image, this is my label for the button, uh, and it will do exactly that um yeah. so you have to know okay we need to put a content um i forget what's called a content uh something uh, oh, around it so yeah. to, to make the button have uh a bigger a bigger presence uh in terms of like a click area another way to do this is you can put a ton of padding around your image and that will make your button very large and then you can put negative padding on the outside of your button to actually make it layout smaller. but that gives you some great benefits. For instance, you have a nice large touch target, uh, mm. but the layout of your button will have the same layout intrinsics of your image. So there are many little tricks like this that you're going to learn as you start using it um, and it's impossible to like teach at all of them if that makes any sense. like you need to learn them on mm-hmm. yep. like while you're running through these different. Uh, these different circumstances and it's so
2: young too that like I don't think anybody has necessarily like come to this is exactly how everyone should do it like that there's a a lot of when you look up something there's a lot of like I did it this way I did it that way and like you'll you'll mm -hmm. see what Dimitri said like you'll see a Stack Overflow set of answers where like it's not just variations on a theme. It's like, here's one approach. Here's a completely different approach that does the exact same thing, which is better. I don't know. The votes are about the same. Like, you just like, you can, <laughs> like basically, as a community, I think. They all have 30 so, votes. <laughs> which one? Yeah, because it's so new. Like, we don't have a collective, this is the best practice for a lot of these things. Um, and I think that's that can also make it, like, extra frustrating because you you need to learn sort of the first principle of how to do a thing. And then you kind of also want, like, okay, this works, but, like, is this the right way to do it? And, and it's not always clear. It's, I would say more often than not, it's actually not clear if what you're doing is the right way to do it, like sort of the way that everyone has kind of collectively agreed is, like, this is the best practice for, you know, X, Y, Z reasons.
0: Yeah, you'll see no one suggests my method of doing the negative padding and the positive padding to, like, counterbalance yeah, the button. <laughs> because, like, no one is going to think about it. They just want their button to be in a place on the screen. You're not necessarily thinking about, oh, we also want the touch target to be large uh, for touch devices. That way it works really well. Um, and it's only because I ran into the issue where the images would sometimes not tap that I figured, oh, I can put a padding in here. And then I realized, oh, I can control the padding to control the touch target. Um, so it's, it's really all about like, figuring out how to like, put these pieces together. And that's the missing piece because SwiftUI is so young uh, that there aren't really any best practices like Ben said. Um, mm-hmm. And this gets down to like, trying to use SwiftUI in a more complex way as well. So we've talked about how like, you can use it as a small component, uh, which I think all of us have done, correct? Mm-hmm. yeah so uh when you want to like you said fernando you see all these people everything needs to be swift ui now uh apple allowed you to make a an app uh and that app yep. struct can go ahead and describe your entire app there we go we don't need ui kit we don't need uh app anymore we can just do everything in swift ui uh, and everything will be cross-platform magical rainbow um and uh, that is unfortunately not like a practical outcome, I think.
2: I mean, when is it ever? When is it ever when people say multi-platform? Well,
0: that's <laughs> that's, that's how right. you end up with Electron, right? Yeah, exactly. That's the the true multi-platform experience. Yeah.
1: I think this this is the first time though that a single company has like a, a really high degree of control over several different platforms. So. Yeah i can understand at least why apple would say well i could do it right right i can probably make a framework that's cross-platform that works i don't think they will but i can at least i can at least see that hey we gotta try this because last every everyone that's tried it's like trying to uh to do it from uh like trying to merge way different ui and ux from different platforms and yeah. whether we like it or not, the UI and some of the UX uh, for all Apple platforms has been converging. Um, and they swear and promise us that they will never merge the OSs. But even if they don't, they've, they've become more and more similar with time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah. it's interesting. Uh, I was going to say, uh, uh, someone I follow on Twitter, Asa- uh, sorry if I butcher the name, Azam Sharp. Uh he uh builds courses for iOS and other technologies. I remember a tweet from him uh from last month. He he tweeted, I'll send a link to you, Dimitri. He he tweeted, I'm working on Swift UI recipe course and sharing these small recipes. And at the moment I was like, that's funky. I don't I don't like that's interesting, weird. I never put any attention to it. But now that you guys are telling me like, hey, like the hard part is all of these tiny uh what code snippets i would say ui snippets yeah those are the the missing pieces and so now it clicked for me that oh wow so that's really interesting Um, i could see someone like dimitri uh, and his button padding content instant hack (laughs) just writing down a bunch of recipes because they work
2: Pretty soon and, we'll just have like a giant like NPM style library oh my. collection of yeah. like, yeah. of like, hey, literally everything you want to make is here. Just install this package and, and, you know, and then and then pretty soon iOS house will be nothing but 3,000 Swift PM packages <laughs> of random UI things and then like six lines of your actual code and then you're like, all right, done. <laughs> and I was
1: coming the... over to, to Team Swift UI. Like that yeah. just killed me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry, sorry. sorry, I ruined it for you. <laughs> Honestly, no, what you described, Fernando, like the recipes, that really reminds me of how I got started learning about web development. So uh, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, the way to learn web development was to get these books that kind of went one page, one little recipe of like, this is mm-hmm. how you do this one super common thing. Um, and then the next page would be a different collection of these common tasks uh, that you could go ahead and build. Um, and that reminds me of a different site, um, called SwiftUI lab, which actually goes through, um, a whole bunch of these different scenarios. So if you ever have any questions about like, what is SwiftUI doing actually, uh, this is the place that you need to go check because it will go ahead and, uh, outline all the different conditions behind a certain set of, uh, behaviors so that we can really get a good understanding, um, of what it's doing, uh, to tie back in with what you're saying about how like Apple doesn't have uh, a cross-platform story uh, even though they're trying to build one. Um, something that's interesting is that SwiftUI very much is Apple's cross-platform story. It's not finished. Uh, they are making headway like every, um, every year to kind of improve it more and more and to get more functionality that's missing from all the platforms within that uh, one framework. But something we have to remember is that SwiftUI actually allows you to do anything. And that means that you can do something wrong. Um, And (laughs) this is something that AppKit was very good at preventing. So with AppKit, you had a certain set of widgets. And with Interface Builder, you'd be forced to kind of position those widgets in a way that aligned well with the HIG. Um, And you would end up with a UI that always looked like a Mac UI. iOS kind of ruined this, I think, uh, at least for Apple, uh, because every app, instead of having a common set of design paradigms, uh, instead went in the direction of uh, every app is its own unique interface, it has its own unique metrics and uh, button sizing and shapes and behaviors, that a lot of commonalities that Apple tried to build back up with iOS 7 was kind of lost, um, especially with their uh, no-button... Uh, contour UI design um, so we don't have anything like that in UI Kit where you're kind of forced to do something in one way um, and discouraged from kind of straying from that path um, and SwiftUI takes that even further uh, and just makes it really easy to go in any path that you want um, which is great for custom user interfaces which every app will eventually need uh, but it's very difficult for uh, the parts of the platform that you want to be the same. Um, and it can, it can really mess with that, uh, that natural progression, like going forward every year of getting more and more apps that behave the same and then users are comfortable with them. Instead, we get more and more apps that behave completely differently. Um, and at least they're native, I guess. So that's, that's one benefit.
1: What does native mean? No, I'm kidding. We can we can avoid that that subject later. <laughs> uh, but I totally totally agree with you. It's 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 at least something worth thinking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what else would be interesting with two UI? So, like for example, if you like both for well, Spencer, have you have you had any experience with two UI, or are you on on the same boat as I am?
3: Uh, I've had a little bit, not near as much as um, Dimitri and Ben. Um, uh, we, a couple of us, have used it at work um, recently. In like the latest major update of of Lumafusion, there's this um, this keypad. It's basically yeah, like a, a number pad where like you've got a bunch of sliders to you know change parameters of like a filter or something. And so instead of just using the slider and kind of having to slide and then hit these nudge buttons. You can uh put in a specific number, you can do math on it and everything. And that's that's like the only Swift UI production code that I have. Other than that, it's just you know, just messing around in very small apps and everything. So uh getting into the building small ish components, I definitely agree with Dimitri and Ben on. Um, I think where I have not a ton of experience and that may be why I feel this way but um, as far as getting into the larger apps and dealing with things like navigation that's where with my own personal kind of um, study and experience in Swift UI, which albeit has it's been six plus months since I've done any of that that's where I found it really hard and I felt there was a little bit m- less control where the UI itself like you know, if we break things down into like nibs basically of Swift UI, it's awesome. It works really well. But the overall like navigation and kind of moving throughout was hard um, to, to get some things to work. You can present things as a sheet and everything, and you've got like your navigation view. But um, I had a hard time with that, and that's probably just due to my lack of experience with it, I suppose.
2: I would say yes and no. Like, it, okay. it probably is, there probably are a few things that maybe you could, that if you had more experience, you would know better sort of what to do in that situation. But I will also say that one of my, I you know, for one thing, I really want to hear Dimitri's rant about MVVM with SwiftUI. So we'll get to that whole thing in a minute. But, <laughs> but the, other, the other thing, so like the big frustration that I have, so we have a we have a production app that just went live in, what's today, the 9th of December. I think like the middle of August, I think is when it went live. Um, So, and it's, it's an app written, not every line of code is Swift UI, but, but it is almost all Swift UI. Um, uh, There's some, uh, there's obviously a bunch of Swift, and then also even some Objective-C in there too, but, um, but it is, at least from a UI point of view, I'm trying to think if we have actually any UI kits. I think we have a few small UI kit things, but it is mostly Swift UI. It's a uh, tab-based application, um, and then the tabs, uh, in some cases, have nav stacks. Um, in some cases, the views that we show are modal. We also have a multi-page onboarding flow that is all SwiftUI. Um, and so uh, I will say that something that has been very frustrating, and, you know, we figured it out, we got it working, but I I, I would pretty much guarantee that the way we're doing it is probably not the best way. Um, and I think a big frustration for me has been um, like, again, what is the best practice? And when you Google things and you look on Stack Overflow, again, you get like six answers. They're all very different. They all have like the same amount of votes. And you're just like, well, this is better than nothing. Like, I mean, these are ideas that I can try, but I'm not getting any, I'm not, no one's steering me. I'm not getting any steering towards like consensus. Um, And, and I think that is largely just because at this point, Swifty-wise, like we said, so new, and like you said, Dimitri, right? If you can do any given thing seventeen different ways, yeah, it's just going to take longer, I think, for us to mm-hmm. come to consensus around something, um, because it's like, well, this is good, and this is good, and this is good. It's like, yeah, those are all ways you can do it, but what is, what if people? What are the battle scars of for people, and how have they sort of learned the right way to do something? And I think it's there's so much choice. Yeah. it's It's easier to just have a wider field
3: of options, and also we just haven't been doing it long enough for those battles cars to really hurt yet um, yeah, so I think one thing for me now that you say that is one of the hardest things when I was building that numeric view and i I'm sure it would be the same for me with anything in swift u i is- um, re- reconciling view modifiers the order in in oh yeah because they definitely matter and that's something that i probably just need to study more but that was one thing where you know you get down to the nitty gritty details of like it works but you're like should i rearrange any of these Mm -hmm. or like what is the quote-unquote optimal order for you know a normal uh view i suppose that that dealing with all of those view modifiers is just like yeah wow, okay, this is a lot. Where before it's right. like, you can set the layers uh, border width and border mm-hmm. um, color in any order you want and it doesn't matter type of right. thing. So for me, that, yeah, I, that was also different. I think that's probably mostly, a, I
2: hope that is like a tooling problem that it would be really great. It's kind of, again, like it's sort of an open field, right? And so Xcode just like, here, here's an editor, right? Figure it out. And I think something that would be great, is, and this is definitely better than it used to be. Early Swift UI days, it was just like you would do, you would breathe on it wrong, and it would be like it's broken. And I, I'm not going to tell you why, but it's broken. <laughs> yeah, it's like what. So now it's better. It's they've definitely improved it a bunch. Like the you know syntax highlighting is usually works pretty well. The, For sure. <laughs> The but, the compiler usually gives you better errors and stuff, but but still, some of it is a little bit tea leaf reading where you're just like, does this go here? I don't know. Let me just try this and then exactly, it and, you know, kind of like applying.
3: I, I remember like trying to apply a border, but it's like you have to apply the border, before. you know, after before the padding or whatever to make it yeah. in the actual view you want or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like if you tried yeah. to do it with Dimitri's bounding box thing, it would, you know or it would actually hit kind of like the view detection box instead of like the inset box and everything. And it's like, yeah, oh my gosh. Like, I know there's logic behind this, but it is really like reading tea leaves sometimes for me. I'm
2: hopeful that someday maybe we'll get sort of a, like a stop sign fix kind of situation where like, you know, with regular Swift syntax, sometimes it's like, you did this wrong, but I know how to fix it for you. So let me tell you what you did wrong. And then I'm going to give you a nice button that will just rearrange the order of the, of the, arguments or, you know, whatever it is that you need to do to make it right. And obviously that's not going to work in every situation, but I'm hopeful that we're working towards something like that, where in some scenarios it's like, listen, you do this wrong. I know (laughs) what's wrong and I actually know how to fix it. Let me show you how to fix it. And then that way, hopefully, because it's a, it's a learning experience, right? It really, you can get Xcode to teach you something. And Mm -hmm. then, and then you're much less likely to do it wrong the second time. Whereas if it just squawks at you and says, this is broken and I'm not going to tell you why, and i'm not going to tell you how to fix it it's it, even if you come to the right solution eventually through like just sort of playing with it you may not have been able to pay close enough attention to even realize the exact permutation of what you did to make it right yeah. and then you're like well i fixed it but i don't if this happens again i'm going to be just as lost as i was this time right whereas whereas uh if the tooling was a little bit better again it's not going to work in every situ- situation but in the situations where this compiler can figure it out, it'd be, it'd be nice if it, could, if it could provide those teaching moments for people because then they're going to be less likely to do it wrong again. Yeah,
0: for sure. And I, th- I think an important part there, too, is uh, when you look at SwiftUI, especially with modifiers, the modifier is actually containing the views that come before it, the, the receiver right. of the modifier in a way. Um, so we're actually looking at it backwards. Like when you have yeah. a long chain of modifiers and then a dot padding, That just means that everything that came before that dot padding has a padding. Um, So it would perhaps Mm. be easier to think about it as we have a padding view, and then you put all that stuff within that padding view. Mm -hmm. Um, And that kind of applies to all of them. There are some cases where you have modifiers that don't return a view or that are only defined unlike text, for instance. Mm -hmm. So it's a modifier that takes a text and returns a view or takes a text Mm -hmm. and returns a text those ones are very important to get in the right order because you can break the chain of having a text uh, at every point in time, and then all of a sudden you no longer have a text. So you can't use that specific modifier. Uh, yeah, you again. want to change
1: the font, and it's no longer text, it's like a view, and yeah, it's, it's like, no, views. views don't have fonts, yeah. But you can I, you, you can take a you font can modifier
2: <laughs> and apply it to like an htac that has text in it, and it will apply that font to all the texts that are in the h htac. Mm-hmm. Right that's that's
1: awesome it, it, that actually brings me up to uh uh back to my point about like swift u i being easy to implement but hard to understand because uh i briefly briefly uh said this in in uh during a conversation earlier today but it, but it's like there's a ton of like generics and opaque types and yeah. magic that's basically yes. going on behind the scenes. Yeah. Where it's like if you if, like if you wanted to explain uh, the, the example I, I gave in my newsletter earlier uh, was if if I wanted to explain a table view to a junior, it would be way easier and the concepts would be way simpler than if I had to explain uh, like a list uh, a complex a list of equal complexity in Swift UI. Mm-hmm. Building it would be faster on Swift UI. But explaining the concept so that you understand, like, no, when you have this, you're changing the view type and then blah, blah, blah. But this function still exists because they wrote it there. Like, all of that is difficult. Um, it's way, way more difficult than SwiftUI. So, yeah, it's interesting for sure. And something think, that...
3: Go, oh, for it. go for it. No, no, no. You haven't Several people
1: up. are typing. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs>
3: Sorry. Uh, I was just going to say, and I haven't, uh, as a sort of disclaimer here, I haven't read the whole thing entirely, but, um, obviously has a book called, I think it's understanding Swift UI or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's one of the very first chapters. It goes into things like how Swift UI actually builds that view hierarchy and how it figures out all of those types and everything. And for me, it helped, um, really kind of break down like this arcane magic that is taking all of these random things and combining it into a swift you know swift ui sum view this opaque type Um, but then it gets mad at you when you want to change it you you have some conditional logic in there and it says no you can't change this because it doesn't have the same um, underlying type it kind of helps um, i guess wrangle that a little bit but um, i'm sure there's a lot of knowledge in there i don't know if anyone else has read it but um, I haven't read the whole thing, but it's so. Uh, obviously, IO always has really good books. I would say another yeah, thing, I'm it sure, is, it's great. Is like is trying to get out of the imperative coding
2: mindset because like mm-hmm. sometimes I'll want to definitely I'll want to put logic into the view body. uh, and, and it's like, no, you can't do that. It's like, but if I can't put it in there, like where, I don't know where to put it. Like, if you just get like lost. It's <laughs> so like, I needed to do this thing and I don't know where that thing needs to go. And it's, it's not because Swift UI is like broken. It's because you're implementing, thinking about it. In your mental way. model is broken. Like it doesn't yes. work that way. It works differently. You have to, you have to totally change. I think that's another thing that, um, you know, I mean, if we're piling on the old man, get off my lawn. I'm
1: speak. not broken, Ben. I am not broken.
2: No, you're not broken, but, but, but you are, but like what I'm saying is that it's, it's, it's not just like a new way to handle auto layout. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like an Mm -hmm. entirely different way of thinking about writing code and executing code. Um, It's imperative versus declarative. It's, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's sort of procedural versus like, you know, functional reactive programming style using combined stuff like that. It's, it's a very different idea and if you and if you haven't spent a bunch of time in like Rx swift and all these other things that existed yep. before before that then you know certainly <laughs> i think i did i think one of the first things i did was like the um the that landscapes uh tutorial that apple has on their site about swift ui it's an excellent tutorial and and you build something that's really cool but i did it when swift ui first came out and i was just like okay i did that there is not a chance in hell that i'm going to be able to that i'd be able to replicate what i just did even by changing a few small things about the app that i wanted to build and do it myself like it was so everything about it was just completely different and i and and that's that's annoying when i think it's probably annoying anytime but like when you have a decade of experience at a particular thing and then a thing comes out that's right next to it you're like i got this <laughs> <laughs> <Just> completely <laughs> no lost, and it. you're like, "What is? Ugh. Like it's it's just it's very demoralizing." So uh I, I guess I'm just sort of saying, like, I completely commiserate with your with your like issues with the whole thing. Not even just like where are my auto layout roles, but just uh, how do I build stuff? Like I I was an efficient builder, and now I feel like I've I'm back to like Lincoln Logs again.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I think. I think something that really helped me conceptualize uh, that aspect, that particular aspect, which is a big one, um, is when you're describing your view, you're describing every state your view can ever be in. Yeah. So you need to like take the big brain mentality and really put it to work to really think of all the different gotchas and conditions that you may end up with. And what you're left with is a bunch of switches that would turn on and off certain parts mm-hmm. of Uh, that view Um, and that's really what's describing like what your app looks like at any given moment in time Uh, and it's easy to kind of if you have an entire app built with swift ui it's easy to kind of look at just one view and be like okay in this case actually it's your entire app that gets re uh, laid out every single frame or many times a frame and it's going to determine, oh, this one little switch from the very beginning of your app or from this other completely unrelated screen, it's going to completely change things. Um, and that is really powerful if you can use it effectively. Uh, but it's very confusing if you don't know how uh, the data is moving from like one part of the app to right. another. Um, yeah. And that's that can get very frustrating. Uh, to what you're saying, Ben, about like you need to get out of the imperative mindset, I found it actually easier to use certain parts of, like, the, like, I want an alert to show up, uh, mm-hmm. for instance, is a, is a typical example. In SwiftUI, it kind of pushes you towards, okay, you have your view, you put a dot alert, and you declare your mm-hmm. alert there, and then you have a switch that would turn on or turn off the alert. Mm-hmm. And the alert, by the way, will also turn off the alert switch when you dismiss it. Like, right. it's all connected. Yeah. Now, what happens if you have something quite complex, and there's four different errors that could occur? Um, in four different kind of parts of that screen, now you have four different dot .alerts. Uh, it turns right. out before like iOS 14.something, uh, uh, that wasn't even possible. It would just concatenate all of those alerts into one, uh, and then you just get the last one, which was mind-blowingly annoying. Uh, but they fixed that, so that's, that's good. Um, but what I found is super like useful in those situations is to instead have a state object that represents the alert that I want to show... I can imperatively set it to whatever I want whenever an alert shows up, which means my alerts are localized to where the error occurs. They're not just sitting in my view waiting for something to happen. Uh, And then whatever I set that alert to, I have a special view modifier that I I think I called alert presentation. It will just show my data object that represents the alert. Um, Mm. So you can think in the imperative mindset, you just have to tweak it so that way it becomes declarative. Like you still have an alert that you know you're going to eventually need to show, and you still have a place where you're going to show that alert. You just don't know what that alert is yet. So you can go right. ahead and as a result of something happening, set that alert to whatever you want.
2: Are we winning you over, Fernando, or is it just even worse now?
1: <laughs> I I I actually have, have one more question that I think I think is going to be uh the decisive uh, question, which is mm-hmm. both you, uh, Ben and Dimitri, have you guys have started like learned about Swift UI in apps that were brought from the ground up using Swift UI? Or...
2: Yes, yeah, so the one that yes. I just read about it being released was a Greenfield app at the beginning.
1: So for example, if, if I wanted to bring a UI kit app into swift ui i would obviously do it slowly mm-hmm. get a view move it to swift ui and so on my question would be when would i stop like,
2: like converting you're saying
1: yeah you yeah so so should i like if i already have all my navigation logic mm-hmm. everything should i just leave that as is or after i migrate my views will i be migrating my navigation based on your experiences like what what is what is my My long term goal moving into Swift UI?
2: I would say right now, so this is hopefully the next thing we'll talk about, which is like sort of architecture. I would say right now, you're probably better off taking a, you know, production, you know, uh, an app that's in production that is entirely UI kit as you sort of migrate the views to Swift UI. I would say probably do not. Do not touch the underlying architecture of the app if it works, if it's working well. Mm-hmm. Um, until, as a community, we we don't have to like. I don't. I don't think we're probably going to ever end up in a scenario where like MVC is it right? Like for example, with with UIKit, right? Because MVC ideas were built directly into the sdk Apple was very clearly signaling that yeah yeah, you can use other things you can graft viper on top of this if you really want to but like at the end of the day you have to you have to deal with mvc at least in part because we baked it into the sdk so so then what i decided as a developer was yes there's a million other ways we could do this but like but why right like the the in my opinion, this is, this is going to be a holy war. people are going to email us about. But, like, <laughs> in my opinion, there's nothing wrong with MVC as an architectural pattern as long as you don't abuse it, right? Just like right. everything, right? Agreed. You can abuse anything, and it can be crappy. So, but as long as you, you avoid things like massive view controller and you, and you do have a good separation of your concerns and stuff like that, and you're just being, like, a conscientious coder, I don't see any – I've successfully used MVC, you know, dozens of times and never had any issue um any major issue where like, oh, this architecture is really like ruining my ability to get this accomplished. Like this never happened. So uh so that that's kind of to me that's that's the the message that we kind of heard from Apple and that's what we all sort of collectively decided on, you know, barring all people who wanted to do a bunch of other things on the I'm gonna say on the fringes. Um don't email me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but like but <laughs> to, but with SwiftUI, that isn't in, in my opinion, that is not nearly as strongly communicated – a particular path is not being nearly as strongly communicated by Apple in the SDK that they've built for SwiftUI as they did with UIKit and MVC. So um, so I don't think we're probably – because of that, I don't think we're probably going to ever end up in a scenario where it's like 99% of the world who builds SwiftUI apps uses MVC, or insert some architecture here – uh, and And then, like the weird people <laughs> use something else right like i don 't think that 's going to happen because there 's just we 're starting out with a much wider field of possibility, and because there 's no strong suggestion from the platform maker, I think a bunch of communities are going to like we 're going to solidify around probably a few, but it's it 's going to be it 's going to be broader so I say all of that to say that I probably wouldn 't do a bunch of re-architecture of a a UI kit to SwiftUI conversion app until, again, if your architecture is working for you, then that's great. If it sucks, Uh then you change it anyway. But if it's working for you, keep it until at least two or three or four camps kind of emerge in the SwiftUI world where it's like this, lots and lots and lots and lots and lots lots of people are successfully... uh, you know, delivering production quality apps of, vari- of a variety of complexities using this specific implementation and architecture, and it's fantastic. And you should use it too, right? Like until that's the case, I probably would just leave that part of the app alone, um, because you know the whole the old um, the old adage of like don't basically if never. Yeah, if it ain't broken, like never rewrite your your, your software. Like it's ne- like it's never it's never a good time to to rearchitect your entire application, particularly if it's in production. I mean, I think that adage is definitely not always true. But but uh, but if it's isn't working M- well, right? Like why?
1: But isn't MVVM the answer, Ben? <laughs>
2: <laughs> now you're just goading Dimitri. Which I gotta say, <laughs> no. I'm, I'm totally genuinely- in favor of it. that's fine.
1: But. No, I'm genuinely curious. I think, I think what you said was very, very, uh, it made a lot of sense to me. Like, okay. just keep going until you reach the architecture and then stop and yeah. wait and see. Yeah. But uh, I've been hearing, like, I, I don't remember who uh, on Twitter <laughs> was saying, like, MVVM is just, like, it's a perfect fit for yeah, SwiftUI. UI. And, I, and I, I have to take that at face value because I have right. no experience with UI. so and, and I'm more than s- happy to hear. Yeah,
2: and, and I will say, as somebody who's been using it for like a year, um, I heard early on that you know Apple was even kind of lightly signaling that that's what they wanted you to use. They weren't, it wasn't as heavy handed as as MVC and UIKit, but it was kind of in there. And as somebody who had never seriously used MVVM as an architecture and didn't know anything about FRP, right? Like combined sort of Rx Swift style uh, programming. Hadn't done declarative t- t- t stuff before. I mean, I was very much in the MVC imperative, object oriented mm-hmm. protocol programming type of sort of world of 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 building apps, iOS apps. So, um, so yeah. So I was like, okay, sure. Like if if that's what they want, I'll just learn that. That's great. Like it's, <laughs> I I was happy to hear that something was kind of the thing that people should use and right. then i actually started using swift ui and then i started to learn the declarative style the you know the combined sort of ideas of publishers and stuff and then and kind of you know changing over from the app delegate to like the app structure and like sort of the whole new way of building apps and i realized like oh no it's not nearly as clear it's th- it, there, I don't think that Apple's signaling as strongly as some may have early mm. s- suggested that they were that MVVM is the right answer. And then I will also say that I have been on a personal crusade over the last like three months <laughs> trying to. So, like we, for example, in the in the production app that I manage at work, we actually implemented something called um, the Swift Composable Architecture by the point free guys into uh, into a part of the application. We, the idea was going to make it was going to have it be where the entire app was going to be run off the TCA. But, uh, we built a piece of it and then, uh, and then we realized that we didn't know it as well as we thought we did. Um, and, uh, and so we decided not to let it get into other parts of the app. Um, and it's now basically relegated to one portion and we've gotten our hands wrapped around it now and it, it, makes sense now, but, but, but I, I also don't know that it's the choice, the right answer. um, and for those who don't know, it's sort of. Uh, I'm going to gloss over most of it, but it's like basically Redux-ish. Like if you're if you're familiar with how Redux works on on uh, as a like a React sort of uh, front end JavaScript kind of uh, architecture, it's similar to that. Um, it takes some of those same ideas. So that was I, I think if you had a lot more practice, it might make more sense. Uh, but it's really, in my opinion, really obtuse and really hard to learn. And learning everything else on top of that is—it's just like a, it's too much. um So then I was like, okay, well maybe MVVM is the answer, like just straight, regular, plain, vanilla MVVM. And then maybe, but then it's like, well, but how do you handle navigation and like passing data around? And what if you're involving core data and like you know, I mean, and Apple's like, oh, just just use a property wrapper to connect your core data, you know, fetch request right into your swift ui view and it's like that doesn't seem right based on everybody that has said that you know you should separate your concerns. But then it's like but if you don't do that then now you're like rebuilding, you know, you're starting from the first brick of the pyramid to like to, to construct a solution. And so it, sort of bottom line is that I've tried straight mvvm, I've tried mvvm plus uh, like a state machine. A finite state machine designed for the view state. I've tried uh, the TCA. I've tried um, – I, I watched some part of a video and then I just couldn't get through the rest of it because I was like, I don't think this is going to be right. But somebody wrote – somebody did a video about uh, taking the Elm architecture ideas from Elm mm-hmm. and bringing it to Swift. I I just I I was like this is a lot like what I've already seen and I don't think it's going to work and for me and like I just I I said, never mind uh, but basically bottom line is I've looked at like <laughs> six different uh in some ways similar and in other ways very different sort of arch- architectural and organizational styles for for building a cohesive uh Swift UI app and I got to say I'm pretty unimpressed with all of them like and I think the primary reason for that is because, you know, I'm pretty new to this kind of programming um, and UI and stuff. And then uh, and so I don't have a bunch of like my 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 sniff test isn't very good yet. Right. Like I don't mm-hmm. I just like mm-hmm. this sounds good and I just try it and it's like, oh, it has all these problems. And then the second thing is and this is my gripe as an educator, is that like there are not. There are, there are very few resources that I found where the the approach that they describe is then shown to you with a non-trivial example. Right. And
1: you're like, this is... We've g- been hearing that since Lambda. This
2: is great when it's, <laughs> when it's like three views and they're all just displaying text and there's nothing coming from the internet and there's no core data and there's no... Like, this is fantastic when that's the situation. But as soon as you involve anything more complicated than that, I'm sure you can do it, but like that 's the whole point i 'm trying to learn how this technique or this approach or this architecture works in a variety of scenarios and I, and I, and like I hit a wall where I'm like, I want to add core data to this, okay, well, where does that go, and how does that work God and how does that like core data. fit in right and like it just doesn't it, I, i'm sure it 's doable it's just that like I personally have not found uh a winning sort of set of steps to get me there so rant over but I, I i it's been bugging me for months i'm just like why why is this so hard and we've become the web yeah we yes yes <laughs> the things that we've one thing we've all, we've all dreaded forever it's finally happened uh so dimitri uh like save yes. me from all of this craziness. <laughs>
0: <laughs> let me solve all your problems um, Fernando, to answer your question that you had before, uh don't rewrite any part of your app in swift UI. anytime you have a view that is going to change drastically yeah. in design there you go. use that as an opportunity to like rewrite that part and then work piecemeal just what you need to change like if you have an old crusty piece of view that you never gets touched for ten years, but it works like keep it there's no need to pull that out. the nice thing but about where's SwiftUI, the fun in
1: that Dimitri?
0: <laughs> <laughs> the lack of chaos yeah. uh the nice thing about swift ui is every every time you need to use swift UI, you get a ui view controller a ui hosting controller it's mm-hmm. called and you can just put it wherever you want anytime you need to use ui kit in swift UI, you have a ui view controller representable and you can fit it in uh like right wherever you want it in the end it's still a ui kit app that is mm-hmm. just laid out by swift UI. Mm-hmm. so that's that's something that is uh, that I wanted to bring up. It's really easy to mix and match these pieces, and to like take it very piecemeal, uh, just where mm-hmm. you need it. Um, so you don't need to go like all gung ho all in uh, until you like want to rewrite everything from scratch. Or I guess you get to eighty percent of the way there, and then there's just a few screens left. Um, because you'll find when you rewrite a screen in UI, it's going to be really quick to get the layout looking just the way you want it. Um, but the data. Uh, model is going to be a little bit more complicated uh, and that's where you'll need a lot of practice to kind of get it just right um so the reason why i think swift ui does not fit with any existing paradigm uh in terms of uh how to structure an app um and spencer and i on episode 43 i think uh talked about different ways of like different reasons why uh team would use one architecture over another. Um, so I invite anyone who's listening to this episode to go and listen to that one as well because there's a lot of commonalities as far as like why you would want to use one over the other. Um, but the thing that's different about SwiftUI is the view that you're writing is not really a quote unquote view in the same way that a UI kit uh, view was. Uh, you're describing what your view hierarchy is going to look like. You're not really describing what one view is. I like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And that really turns your view itself into a model, which immediately puts a wrench in everyone's (laughs) ideas of, like, what is the view, what's the model, what's the controller. There's no controller. Um, Like, that's, that's to be seen. In fact, the property wrappers... Like for Core Data, that can probably be a controller if you want to really contrive uh, your words. Um, but you have everything that is a struct and all your views are just describing a tree. Um, so that's one thing. All your data is persisted via these property wrappers and they need to be because you need to have references for an app to work. Like object-oriented programming works because it is so uh, it it works so well with how we think about the world around us. And if you don't have references to kind of tie everything together, uh, programming becomes really hard again, as it was uh, back before object-oriented programming. So that's why we have all these property wrappers, which uh, work in different ways to hold on to data, to create new references to data, um, and to link uh, different views up together. Now, one downside of these property wrappers is anything that's not the view does not get access to them. So for instance, uh, if you have a, some controller logic that's in its own class, um, it does not have access to any of the environments that the view has, um, even though it is a property on that view. Um, so that's something that you really need to uh, realize early on as you start architecting your app um, that some architectures might work well for and others might not. Uh, moving on to MVVM. It really depends on what you consider to be the model, the view, and the view model in this story. As I said, the view uh, that we're working with in SwiftUI, it, technically, it's a model. Like you're describing data. Um, it's not really describing what the view looks like, uh, like a hundred percent. There's a whole lot of functionality that's as a part of that view that contains the data and stuff. In fact, it looks a lot like a view controller uh, when you take a few steps back. Um, I was going to say. It, it has the state of your of the data that you're talking about. You pass that state in when you create that object um, or that that piece of data. I don't know are structs objects. I always call them objects because it's easier to yes. just get the conversation just moving For along. purposes of argument, let's say yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. An <thank laughs> enum is
2: an object. A struct is an object. A class instantiation is an object. They're all so
0: object. so your 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 Swift UI view uh, that you create it has data. It has the view hierarchy that you're creating. And it has functionality as well. So if you have any buttons, those are going to invoke something um, and do something that's going to change the behavior of your app. So all of that is contained within that view. And that is a recipe for like massive view controllers. Like You can end up in that same exact situation if you don't really know what you're doing, which is why we really want there to be some pattern that we can follow. But none of the patterns were really invented for SwiftUI. They were all invented for... Uh, trying to evolve upon MVC, Um, and I think they are trying to do that because there's some other goal in place. Like, for the composable architecture, you want to be able to have everything be truly independent of one another so you can hot-swap things uh, at a given moment. Most apps don't need to do this. Right. Like, for all intents and purposes, you don't need to hot-swap your views on a given moment unless you have a team of 500 people that are all working on different parts, and you want to be able to, like, experiment and see different... Uh, things as they work. Um, So if you don't need that functionality, there's no point going in that direction adding all that complexity uh, because you're just gonna balloon the mental map that you need to have of your project. Um, And that oftentimes if you're a small team just makes it super complicated. Um, In MVVM's case, SwiftUI seemed like it was using that because you'd have your view, you'd have a state object and you'd have a view model. Now, if that view model is just a model, it's not doing any business logic, it just has some data that it's holding on to, then that that's, that works great. You have a model, view, and a view model. Um, and your view model is kind of transforming your model into something that the view is going to be happy with. As soon as you add functionality to that view model, that's when it gets really complicated because now all of a sudden that view model, hey, it would be really nice for it to know what the environment that the view was uh, working with was or what those... Uh, initial arguments that were passed in were, but you can actually pass it to that view model because those, th- like, they're not created at the same time. That state object thing is very special, and it's not actually created when your view is created. It's created a step later, right before the body is actually run. Um, so unless you actually realize how SwiftUI is put together, like, that is going to take a long time for you to like piecemeal uh, together and get that working in a way that you want. Specifically, what was w- really hard for us. Um, is we were passing around our network session, uh, which was a a class that uh, did all of our network operations um, as an environment, which was really clean to do because at the beginning of the app, you can say, here's the network session that the app is going to use. In all the previews, we can have a preview network session. Um, In testing, we can have a different network session. It's really easy to inject at any point in time. Um, And it would be transparent to all the views. All we would need to do is document that say document uh, a little bit that says, hey, if you don't if you don't pass a network session at one point, uh, this view is going to crash when you load it up because it's expecting it. Um, that's all that was required of that. But a view model that was in charge of like actually loading the data from the network and then setting some properties so that way the view can react to that, it was not able to get access to that network session because it was part of two different trees. You have the view with your environment in there and then the view has a property for the uh, view model that is a separate object. Um, and it's going to be one that's going to be persisted no matter how many times the view is recreated. Um, so the only way to fix that if we wanted to keep using a view model is to have a property called view on the view model and in on appear on our view to, con- to assign the view so that way the view model knows what the view is so that way it can fetch the environment from the view because it's just a property on the view so there are ways to make this work but it gets really that uh squirrely, yeah and yeah. it makes you start to think why do we have a view model to begin with like th- we're just separating the code for one controller into two files like that's ultimately what it did you have one file with some business logic and some model and then you have another file with the view with some model and uh just layout basically um so combining these is pretty easy you can just put stuff in an extension and that's one logical uh thing from the compiler's point of view and all the properties are now visible to all the other properties which is uh really clean not clean architecture but just clean in terms of like thinking about what the view is doing um so that was kind of the start of when I decided like in our app that we were building, we're just going to start getting rid of these view models because it adds an extra thing that we need to go check mm-hmm. when we need to look for functionality. Our view is tightly coupled to it. It is constantly calling in that to that view model to perform actions, to load right. data. Um, so what are and, you gaining,
2: right? If it's tightly coupled anyway, then what are you gaining by doing it?
0: Exactly. Um, and the only circumstance where we are using a view model is if there is a substantial amount of functionality that... Uh, the business logic needs to do for that screen, but we want to have multiple views for it. So the great thing about nibs, for instance, is you can have several nibs for one controller. So that one controller can look very different in different circumstances, and you can do the same thing in SwiftUI if you use a view model, for instance. So that view model or coordinator or whatever you want to call it that has all the business logic, it can just have a bunch of properties that your view, whatever custom view you want, can just go ahead and reconfigure its internal hierarchy but still have the same data that's working in the same way, that's a very useful use of a view model. Um, And in fact, SwiftUI kind of uses this with styles. So anytime you have buttons or switches or things like that, um, you can configure as a property a style and that will go ahead and relay out the view in wildly different ways um, but if you pay attention to that, the view that you're using, that's your view model, and you're attaching a style to it, which is configuring the view in a different way. So it's a very backwards way of thinking about it um, that is very Swift UI specific. So Apple's kind of inventing a new way of architecting apps, and I don't think that they have a complete story yet in terms of like how you should go ahead and do it. Um, but I wanna, discourage people from sticking to one architecture or another because none of them are going to fit. They've all been invented with other goals in mind. And SwiftUI is a very different beast. And you really need to keep it simple uh, for yourself to be able to manage it. So the less you kind of marry yourself to one type of architecture or another, and the more you just try to write code that is easily understandable and consistent within the scope of that application the more you're going to benefit. So uh, to that end, here are some pointers uh, that I want to encourage everyone to kind of think about when you are building out your your screens in SwiftUI. So we talked about components. This is when you're really building out an entire screen um, and you're ri- really writing a replacement for a view controller at this point. So you have your custom view. You will have your state at the top, so all your properties, all your, all your bindings that you might need. Um, You'll have your body. I want to encourage you: don't have a crazy hierarchy of h stacks and uh, uh. navigation. Like, like, don't have any of that within your body. Try to have properties that represent different parts of that hierarchy, and call those properties. So that your body ends up, instead of being three hundred lines long of code, it ends up being seven properties, one after another, that clearly describe: this is the header, this is the profile section, this is. Uh, you're this, this is, your that. And all of that is in a scroll view. That's your entire body. Um, and then later down in the file or in a separate file, you have an extension that will go ahead and declare those properties as sub views. Like that's what they are. So your main uh, controller view, uh, it just has pointers to sub views that are more well-contained, whether they're properties, whether they're like entire views that are reusable between the app. Like if you don't need to reuse it, don't make it into its a custom view with its own state. Like let it share the state with the rest of the thing. Right. Um, simplify your process. Right. Um, you don't need to have a rigid uh, pattern for everything, uh, especially if you just use something once. If you use something once, just type it once. That's it. Uh, don't don't type it in a way that you need to reuse it everywhere. And yeah, then I- finally.
2: I've done that, and it's really – I can – plus one. That's It's very handy, not just because it helps you describe it, but also because mm-hmm. often you'll have stuff around that main sort of list of, of things, right? So stuff like navigation titles and on appears and stuff like that. And if you do it the way that Dimitri described, you can look at the body and you can really get a good sense of what that screen is doing in its entirety without mm-hmm. having to scroll three pages' worth of stuff because you put all your hashtags and everything in one spot – um, and then by the time you get to the bottom, you're like, wait, what was the thing at the top again? Like you, you know, it gets so long that it's it's literally too much to keep in your head at once. So yeah. having it be, so I've I've started doing that, and it's 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 a it was like, holy crap, why didn't I do this the whole time? This is so much better. It's like so much it's complicated. The first better. time you try to yeah. do that, you're like, okay, yeah.
0: what does this property return? And you're like, yes. uh, uh, some <laughs> yes. view. Uh, and then you yeah. try to put an if statement. And it's like uh, it's very mad at you. So you're like, do I use yeah. any view here? And then like you have Dimitri in the background saying, no, never use any view. Um, <laughs> like all you really need to do is add at view builder. That's it. Yeah. Like add at view awesome. builder to everything, <laughs> and then it just turns into a Swift UI body basically. Um, yeah. So once you have your sections so you have your your data you have your body you have your sub views wherever you want to put them in a different file in the same file who cares like computers have infinite memory nowadays for text um like in, in all intents and purposes you can have a giant file as long as it's well organized it's easy to get to like you have yep. everything categorized it's fine um the last section that you want is going to be your methods so uh, all the actions that um, that your buttons can take that your on a peer might invoke make a function an action for each of those that doesn't take any properties or any arguments I should say and what's really neat is anytime you have a button you can type a button open parentheses action colon uh, do the thing no parentheses close your parentheses open curly brace you have your label for your button and you are just referring to selectors at that point, just like you're used to in UIKit. OnAppear calls a different function, but it doesn't call it as a block. It just passes the function as reference um, and it will go ahead and know how to call that. It actually passes self in and does all of that stuff for you. So you have some really clean looking code um, that's easy to read. And that's the most important thing, I think. Um, so that's kind of the architecture, if you can call it that, Uh, that I've settled on which is to say don't follow any rigid architecture Um, it's still kind of MVC if you think about it as like this is your view controller Um, you can call it MVS if you want because it's a model view screen Uh, this is your screen view Um, (laughs) it it does a little more than your regular smaller views that's about it Um, and I think that that has been working really well for us in our app, especially as we've been restructuring it and cleaning up a lot of the experiments, just like Ben did. We experimented in 300 right, different yeah. ways to yeah. try to see what really works well. Um, and in the end, that is something that works really well. And then finally, you have your previews at the very bottom. Um, and if you've done everything well, you don't need to pass any arguments to your view. You don't need to pass any mocking uh, stuff. You can just use your view... And you can go ahead and see it in three different scenarios, uh, white mode, dark mode, gigantic uh, um, accessibility text. And it's very isolated at that point. Um, And if you build this correctly, you don't want to have navigation view in any of your screens. You want that at the highest level of your scene um, that kind of just describes the general structure of your app but your individual views, you don't want them to deal with navigation views. You want them to be individual screens um, and they will push something on the navigation stack. Maybe you can even allow them to uh, call a closure to decide what to push. Then you don't have to have that view decide. Um, It can just pass the data and then whatever's calling it can go ahead and use that data to make a new view. And then what you end up with is at your scene, you end up with the storyboard that goes and describes here, it, here are your tabs. Your tab has a navigation. Your navigation calls this screen, and then this screen, and then this screen. So you have three levels, and you see them all right there. Nothing is tightly coupled, mm. um, and it's fairly easy to see. Uh, and you get the benefits of the storyboard without the downsides of having a storyboard file um, because you can still visually see it um, just in code and hopefully with a, just a few lines of code. Um, if you did that process right. Now, it requires planning. It requires some uh, forethought into how you're going to be doing this, but it can be cleaned up over time. And the super nice thing about SwiftUI is it's really easy to iterate um, and to kind of make these changes as you need them. A final thing I wanted to say is uh, Ben brought up state... State... something. Oh, no. Machine. State machine, machine. yeah. Uh, So... Uh, if you have a complex view, and it might seem impossible to build in SwiftUI, um, one thing that we built was a uh, barcode scanner. So basically, you have your phone. It has a little barcode scanning thing at the top. Uh, you scan an object, and you try to fulfill a, a, basically someone's grocery orders. Um, like you get three apples. You get uh, two boxes of Oreos, three cans of Coke, um, yada, yada, yada. Uh, there was a lot of UI involved in this because apples you need a way. Uh, the coke comes in packs or whatever um, different things you need to count um, some things you need to enter the price because it's cut like by weight like at the deli so there's a ton of different UI here um, and different things required a different sequence of events what we basically did is we have a giant enum with that describes all of these different situations um, and the enum is actually pretty simple it has like you start, uh, you're in the process of scanning, and then it's done. But the process of scanning is a different enum that has three different scenarios for the different kinds of things that can be scanned. Um, so we we split it up into all of these different things, and then our view ended up just being a switch statement that calls into different configurations of our UI that we wanted. Um, and this turns out to be really easy to conceptualize. It's really easy to add to if you have a new thing that you need to scan, you add it to the enum, Swift complains everywhere about, hey, you everywhere. forgot this case, you forgot this case, you mm-hmm. forgot this case, and you don't forget one. Like, you you are sure to get every single one yeah. of those, um, and you don't mess up as a result. So uh, state machines with SwiftUI is, like, so nice to work with um, mm-hmm. because it just takes care of all the rough edges. You just need to think about the scenarios that you want, and you, can, you might need to do a little work to get the animations working the way you want, but once you get it to work it's not complicated hacky code. It just, you found the ideal in a way. And I, I was really pleased with that.
1: I I will add one, like a plus one to Dimitri's comment. Like when, when I became team lead for uh, one of the VPN companies I worked for, uh, we were having a ton of issues with like... Uh, uh, like the VPN changing state, toggling the UI, like where it's connecting, disconnecting, connected, and state machines using Swift's enums, it just solved everything. Like you just describe every state and let the compiler help you out, and it's just so so powerful. So yes, I I think uh, I think that's going to be uh, at least if I if I start migrating uh, anything to Swift UI, definitely enums are my best friend. I don't know if you remember. Uh, everyone, but especially Ben, I actually gave my lambda uh, yeah, you did. talk on enums because enums are cool.
2: And he was like, "I'm going to do a talk on enums on enums and how they're cool." I was like, "All right, well, good luck with that." <laughs> 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 but but I gotta say, it was a, it was an obviously it was an excellent talk because I hired you. So <laughs> <laughs> yep yep, no, but it was really good.
0: Yeah, I happily use Swift switch statements with like even optionals dot sum dot none. Mm-hmm. um And a superpower of uh, switch statements is you can combine different enums in one. Mm-hmm. So you can say switch open parenthesis my enum A and mm-hmm. comma my enum B close parentheses And then you can switch on both of these oh. in every case. So you can go ahead that, and make oh, sure yeah. that you hit every permutation because the nice, compiler is right. going to yell at you if you miss one. um So if you don't care, you can put an underscore um, for one of the cases. Um, but it still works, um, and it's, it's really, really nice to use. You
2: can switch on a result type, too, which is, which is yeah. Funny.
0: Also in Enoch. Yeah.
2: Right.
0: Whew. That was a lot, but that you convinced me.
1: Honestly, yeah. I, I, I am probably going to go very slowly and methodically just uh, working my way through a bunch of views and just going into SwiftUI. And then I'll, I'll ping you every time I hit a wall.
3: <laughs> well, like Dimitri said, um, you can kind of add it at your leisure where that's what um I and a coworker did, uh like with that numeric view. The rest of the of the app uses UiKit, but we were just like, Yeah, it'd be kind of fun to, you know, do Swift UI. My boss was like, Yeah, go for it and we did it and it's you know, there's a little bit of back and forth trying to get it to interact with UI Kit, but it's not that bad and it's self contained and you can do it for as many views as you want to or don't want to. It's kind of nice.
0: This week's episode of Code Completion is brought to you by Weekly Swift Exercises. Learning Swift, there's no substitute for practicing. There's dozens, literally dozens, of people Fernando's mentored through different programs and he's seen it time and time again. After you learn the basics of programming, you slow down because learning through experience is demanding and painful. Increasing your confidence is key and there's an easy way to do it, practice. Fernando's weekly exercises help you practice concepts like closures and protocols while implementing actual features like dark mode. It's free to join. Besides the exercises, Fernando Fernando sends one or two articles about learning Swift. Uh, Some are technical in nature, but most of them will help you in your career by teaching things like best practices, working as a team, and getting ready to get your first job. Thanks again to Fernando and Weekly Swift Exercises for sponsoring Code Completion. Go to twitter.com slash swiftexercises, that's S-W-I-F-T-E-X-E-R-C-I-S-E-S, today to learn more. Now that we've gone through our topics, it's time for Complete the Code, where we quiz our listeners on your knowledge of Swift, Apple, and all things development. Spencer?
3: Yep. So last week we had a Swift UI question for you all, um, and it is, why is the Swift UI code not advisable? Uh, and how can you fix it? Uh, So we have a winner, uh, Pitt, who writes, because you create two branches and that brings problems like broken animation. A better solution is to use a ternary conditional to display a different string. So for example, he says, uh, having a text uh, with a Boolean for is logged in, question mark, uh, a string of you are logged in, colon, you must first log in uh, as a string as well. And that's absolutely correct. Now, sometimes you might want to to branch, especially if you want to represent two uh, different views animating in and out, but that's often an exception. So this is a good pattern to look out for. Um, This week, we have a concurrency question for you. So if you're listening to the podcast, you can check the podcast art or the show notes to follow along. Since Swift's async await syntax is making its way to Xcode 13, how would you transform the code below, which schedules a network call lets us know the request was sent and then prints when the response was received to use the new async away pattern.
0: So can you complete the code tweet your answers to us with hashtag complete the code, all one word. The first to get it right, will get a shout out on a future episode. And with that, all that out of the way, it's time for compiler error, a segment where I get to test my fellow completionist knowledge about Swift, Apple and all things development. And today we have a theme and that is Swift UI view modifiers. Awesome. Great. <laughs> okay, so we have uh, four statements uh, for all of you about uh, SwiftUI view modifiers. Uh, let's take them one by one. Uh, so number one, much like UIKit, SwiftUI allows the interface orientation to be manipulated using status bar orientation, moving the status bar to one of the four screen edges. Statement number two, tooltips tips can be added to SwiftUI views using the help uh, modifier, helping to guide the user around the interface without them needing to directly invoke any actions. Statement number three, any view in the hierarchy can be modified with onOpenURLPerform perform to perform localized URL ha- handling so long as it is part of the hierarchy when the URL is opened. And statement number four, a badge can be added to tab bar items using the badge modifier, but this will also add a visual indicator to list rows to help convey supplementary information. Uh so Spencer, why don't you go first?
3: Okay. Uh awesome. All of these sound I I have no idea. <laughs> um, the first one, the orientation, something like that sounds familiar especially for the previews so that you can preview things in the right orientation. I don't know if it's on the status bar though. Um tool, there there are like built-in tooltips with Swift UI as far as I remember but I, again, I don't know if it's on the help modifier. So none of this really does me any good. Um, as long as it's a part of the hierarchy when it's open. Interesting. Yeah, I, I have no clue on any of these. I think I'll go with number three because I don't, I have not seen that at all, but that could also just be due to my limited experience.
0: An excellent choice men uh so you'd think i'd be good at this with
2: (laughs) probably (laughs) the second most experience of this group uh but uh as usual dimitri has managed to like find things that are (laughs) not in my necessarily in my wheelhouse um so I, i i'm pretty sure that number three is correct um I think that may even have been a relatively recent change, but I think number three is correct. Sorry, Spencer. Of course, I could also be wrong with that. Uh, That's all good. uh, The badge modifier sounds right. Whether it can also be used as a visual indicator on list rows for supplementary information, I'm less confident of, but I'm just going to say that because I think the first part is right, I'm going to assume the second part is right, which is probably not a good strategy, but whatever. Um, So then it leaves us with one and two. Uh, One seems wrong, like that you would be able to manipulate the orientation using a status bar method, but again, SwiftUI is weird. Maybe they change something. Maybe they just, you know, approach it differently. Uh, I'm going to go with number one, and I feel 50% confident about it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There we are. An excellent choice. And Fernando? Hmm. I... I was nice and let you go last since Thank you, you. I I, I actually left, noticed least. and
1: yeah. I, I appreciate it. Not that it would have helped. I, I was I was hoping for it to help, but Ben kinda let me down there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Sorry.
1: Uh, mm. he 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 did say that the status bar thing is kinda weird. But UIKit is kind of weird. So I'm going to say that that if I were to redo, like, a UI framework or build one from scratch, I wouldn't do status bar orientation to change the orientation. But since it's UIKit all the way down, <laughs> uh, I'm honestly, the one that I think is fake is number two. Uh, Tooltips can be added to suit you views using the help modifier. Helping guide the user. I don't know what guide the user means. If guide the user means like next accessibility view, I could believe it. I- I'm gonna go with number two. Yeah, number two. Apple Apple doesn't like accessibility, so <laughs> <laughs>
0: what? <laughs> A dubious no, statement kidding. and an excellent choice nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs> uh so uh let's take these in reverse order since you all agree with number four that a badge can be added to a tab bar item uh using the badge modifier um and i'm surprised you all believe this to be true because in my app i needed to write a custom badge just to put like a number on a shopping cart Mm, and that's because this is new as of ios 15 so uh, good job believing this um and oh, the badge is only usable for tab bar items and for list rows, and this is mostly for Mac OS, where on uh, oh, source nice. lists, on the right side of the source list, you often have like a number mm. uh to indicate like how many unread emails and stuff like that. Um gotcha. so uh this is absolutely true. So, so it it's barely true is what you're saying.
2: Yeah. <laughs> like as of next it week it'll be true. true. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> Uh so that brings us to number 3. Um and I can say sorry Spencer, this is absolutely true as well. Um okay. and it's pretty that cool that you so don't wrong. have to have uh yeah, it it does feel very wrong uh typing it the first time was like where do I put this on open URL? Just anywhere? Yeah. I guess <laughs> anywhere works. Um and it seems like it will do the right thing where if you have multiple of them it will call all of them. Um which is pretty neat. Uh, so you can go ahead and handle URLs a little bit more succinctly, so long as your view is in the hierarchy, right? If your view is on the hierarchy, on open URL never gets called, uh, and therefore the system doesn't know it exists. So uh, that's Mm. something that you need to look out for. So sorry, Spencer.
1: So again, we've become Uh, the web. (laughs) (laughs) I'm
0: kidding. So moving on to number two. So Fernando, you have... uh, uh, serious qualms about me adding flavor text to kind of flesh out uh, what these uh, what these view modifiers are, and you had a problem with the word "guide" in terms of guiding the user around, yes. uh, which I felt was a a good way of describing what tooltips do. <laughs> he sounds really offended. I don't know what you've done for him. Well,
1: <laughs> well, that's not well. I guess tooltips don't guide the user, right? They're just like additional they, info, like they subtitles.
2: Inform the user. They inform the user, right?
1: Inform is not
3: guiding. This just turned into an English class. <laughs>
1: yes, exactly. <laughs> Can in any I case, use my, oh, English is a second language card or? No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> in any case, uh, iOS does not have tooltips. So that means that you are absolutely incorrect, Fernando. Uh, because it is still a view modifier that is declared on all sdks so no uh yeah it's it's primarily meant for tooltips on the mac and they exist on ios but you don't have tooltips on ios so i guess it doesn't complain if you type it uh that's the benefit (laughs) um and all that means that good job ben uh number one is incorrect for once uh, for once, Good and job. I'm glad I tricked you, Fernando, because I think you remembered that status bar orientation that the orientation of the device is set according to the status bar orientation It used to be, yes. In, in UIKit um, and I was looking up how to do like status bar stuff because I haven't done it since like, iOS 6, um, and it's like very different now, and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> I was looking for this me- I don't even think this method is declared anymore I think it's like long since deprecated Uh, to do it on UIKit, but it absolutely does not exist in SwiftUI. So you have no chance to rotate the UI uh, in SwiftUI intentionally, Um, which is a shame because setting the status bar actually changed the input transformation. So if you don't know, Mm -hmm. when you tap on something with your finger, you think you're tapping a part of the screen, but your finger is actually touching a different part of the screen. So the OS will actually adjust for that, and shift your finger so that way it's actually touching what you think you're touching. Um, and that is based on the status bar um, placement. So if the status bar is on the side, uh, you'll notice that as you tap stuff, it's tapping to the left um, or to the right of where your finger is. Um, and you can often like play around with this if you put your phone flat on a table and spin it around upside down and you try to tap stuff. It's very hard. Like all of a sudden, you're not tapping the things that you think you're tapping. You're tapping like too high or too low. Um, so, uh, it's a bit disappointing that that doesn't exist on SwiftUI. If you need to do anything custom, uh, but it doesn't. So good job, Ben. Um, and good luck to Spencer Fernando in the next one, I guess. <laughs> Did I
1: just get bamboozled twice in a single quote? <laughs> like this is this is wrong in so
2: many levels. <laughs> you should have trusted Ben. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. You're right. You're right. Which, to be fair, to you, Fernando is is. Good advice, only like half the time,
0: <laughs> and that's probably pretty, pretty generous.
1: Fifty so. percent of the time it works it works every time.
0: Well, you did cover the other fifty percent, so not a bad strategy. Yeah. So as always, I want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Code Completion to know when new episodes get released, and feel free to tweet at us if there's ever a topic you'd like for us to dig into. Most importantly, as a small podcast, please be sure to share this with your friends and family who are also interested in any part of the process of app development. It's your support that enables us to continue doing this, and we hope to grow a healthy community around everything we discuss. Once again, I want to give my thanks to Spencer, who is at Spencer C. Curtis, that's S P E N C R C C U R T I S on Twitter, Fernando, who is at From Junior to Senior, that's F-R-O-M-J-R-T-O-S-R on Twitter, and Ben, who is at Fair Sky, that's F E R R O U S G U Y on Twitter, for joining me this week. My name once again is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Bouniol, that's D I M I T R I B O U N I O L. And we'll see you all next week.
2: Bye. Bye.
0: Bye. So, as a sort of a mini after show, uh, what kind of announcements do you think we're going to get next week as this episode? Airs hours before the keynote.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, John Prosser is already showing off 3D renders of the iPhone 14, so I don't think we right. even care about what they're going to do on Tuesday. I mean, come yeah. on, okay. we don't There's need those 13s, We're getting we're getting a we're getting a, a camera. <laughs> we're getting uh, we're getting f- a flush camera lens in the back. We're getting, I think, under screen uh, touch ID supposedly on the iPhone. But does flush it camera many? lenses. What yeah. is
1: this 2014?
2: <laughs> well his 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 prognostication is that they're taking the iPhone 4 architecture and redoing it for the mm-hmm. size phones. So like titanium rails, uh flush glass, uh, p- 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 uh the hole punch camera on the front.
0: It's an um, actual hole punch as a hole just straight Yeah, through there's it. a hole all the way through the hole, yeah.
1: I will never get used to the uh tri camera setup it's just so ugly no. so ugly like i understand well, i like it in in the in the functional sense but it's just so ugly i have i think the two they need to add more up. yeah and, and i was like more I don't need to zoom
2: and then i've been kind of like i wish i had a zoom lens <laughs>
1: yeah i agree no i agree 100
0: uh, i'll i, I, I... grab a lens camera all the time just to have zoom because hers is the big one but you have, what, a that mini it's a, and big a max,
2: one. right? Isn't that what you got?
0: No, not a max, just oh, uh, the just regular a... one I call the big one because it's ginormous <laughs> compared to the little one. Um, <laughs> it's it's like you, an aircraft carrier. Do you think ridiculous. we're getting an iPhone 13 mini? I think I so. Say. I don't think we're going to get a 14 mini. I think yeah. that was out, and I am deeply saddened by that rumor. I'm already like prepared for the worst of needing what? to reacclimate to a giant phone. After only a year,
2: I'm at eighty-eight percent maximum capacity on my battery. So I got to say, my battery on the twelve has not, seemingly not kept up or like held up as well as previous phones. I don't know about you guys, but
1: I'm going to yeah, check right now. Mine is pretty bad. I would be extremely surprised if you got a mini eighty-nine. Uh, I'm bracing for impact because eighty-nine percent, right? Eighty-nine. Yeah, I do. Uh, even even then, I I don't feel as bad because uh, we bought we just bought like ten HomePod Minis and they're all over the place <laughs> and they're draining my battery like it just melts away. So I am thinking of getting like regular fourteen. EV8. Because you're
2: streaming or because why? Yeah,
1: yeah, we do okay. a lot of fair play streaming. Okay. So, I got
0: the, the little battery pack thing, and I've been fairly happy with that to, like, get through the day. Yeah. Because the Mini, it is tough to get through the day with it. What what yeah.
1: battery pack? Because I, I could the use one. one.
0: The Max oh, one. The so, I, one. I usually use it as, like, a wireless charger. Like, it's just on in the couch. The button, Apple one or the,
2: or the Anchor one?
0: Yeah, the Apple one. The Apple one, okay. So, like, it, you can either charge the battery pack to mm-hmm. the phone or the right. phone to the battery pack. Like, it works in all directions. Um. So what I have it set up as is like a wireless charger in the couch. Um, so I just kind of like clink the phone onto there. But then anytime I go out, I just grab it and the battery pack. That um, is so
1: cool. I'm um, definitely getting one of these.
0: Yep. Yeah, it, it it's not getting you a ton of extra capacity, like by any means. But it is enough to hold over the mini, like for a good 24 hours. Whereas before, I feel like towards the end of the day, it's kind of dead.
1: Yeah, it's happened to me. It actually happened to me this week where I was at like 20% at like 4 p.m. And I'm like, oh, my God. The, the good news is that I have like I have like, like 20 watt charger or 30 mm-hmm. watt. I don't remember which one. So it's like 30 minutes and I'll be up like, yeah. uh, like 40, right. 50%. Yeah, yeah, but still, uh, the, the wireless, this this is really cool. I'm definitely getting one.
3: If you don't care about it being Apple, um, yeah, Ben mentioned the Anchor one, and it's like $50 instead of 100 Does Definitely. it charge in
0: both directions? I like that. I don't think I so. I don't know. So it also doesn't have
2: the fancy integration of like, you know, it doesn't show up in the widget, and it doesn't like right. all that stuff.
0: Yeah, so the charging in both directions is something that's really cool. That is that is cool.
1: What do you mean charging to two directions?
0: So if the battery is plugged into the charger, and you put your phone on the battery... The battery will charge your phone. If there's no nothing plugged in, the battery will charge your phone. If the phone is plugged in, the phone will charge the battery.
1: Neat. That's neat.
2: Yeah, that is cool. So, what do we think about the watch? Uh, uh, about the seventh gen watch? I've heard flat sides, flat like edges, the twelve. Right? I've heard bigger screen. I've heard forty-one and forty-five millimeter, and people are now like, does that mean that we're gonna have to get different bands? Like, my mom literally has she buys like the cheap ones on Amazon that look just like the real ones mm-hmm, and basically mm-hmm. are just like the real ones, she has yeah. probably 40 watch bands at this point that she's collected over the last, you know, several years. So if suddenly she, I mean, she's not going to probably get a new watch immediately, but, but like, that's probably a thing, right? It's, people probably have decent sized collections at this point of watch bands. And if they go, sorry, you got to, you know, you got to redo all of that.
3: I, that's going to be a problem.
2: Apple I has been pretty good Apple. about
1: bands. <laughs>
3: yeah, they have. Right? I can foresee them being... It, like, if they do change it, then they give you an adapter or something so that you can still use all of your bands or something like that. Yeah. Especially I think it'll they have, probably
0: like, still fit. It just won't be, like, flush. If right. that makes yeah. sense. Right. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Because they've got, like, the, you know, hardcore leather, like, Hermes right. bands that are hundreds of dollars, yeah. like, more expensive than the watch. It's not like... Right. Oh, well, I don't know. Maybe... Or those like like, oh we can get uh, those are amazing ones are you talking about right those are like
2: crazy expensive
3: yeah
1: I really wanted one but I can't justify how expensive they are
2: just get a Mac Pro instead
3: I was just gonna say (laughs) you spend that money on a Mac Pro.
2: And every time I go to get a new watch I'm like, should I get like the stainless steel one or like I really I really wanted the ceramic one. They were so cool looking. Oh my gosh, yeah. I wanted but, the ceramic one. Yeah, so I was bad. Just like I can't like it's like Why? so expensive and then yeah. it's literally exactly the same thing on the inside. And then next year when I when the new one comes out I'm like I'm going to want it and I will have yeah. just spent all of this money for for nothing, like I mean, not literally for nothing. but... Like, I hear you. It just, I just every time I'm like, ooh, and then I just go and I buy a, I buy a sport. I just buy like the regular aluminum one.
1: If they do come out with like a ceramic or something fancy, I may ask Sylvia uh, to get to get it to me um, as like
2: a Christmas present, like a gift. Yeah, yeah. That
1: it, way I could, yeah. Isn't
2: the Let- hotness right now is titanium, right? Isn't the is it the Series 6, I think, that the high-end metal so. is titanium?
0: Yeah. Yeah, so the ceramic sends the skip generations, which right. like, Lynn is really mad at because she always wants one, and whenever yeah. it's her turn to update watches... <laughs> There's no ceramic one, <laughs> and whenever it's my turn to update watches, there's always a ceramic. She's on the wrong watch. cadence, you got uh, you gotta switch cadences. <laughs> um, so let me convince you away from getting a ceramic watch. Um, it does not have any like scratch marks ever on it, which is like a super mm-hmm. bummer. When you have a nice polished surface, you want it to accumulate scratch marks, you know, to like show that you're wearing it. There's, like no scratch marks on the ceramic one. It's a big bummer. Yeah, um, that sounds terrible. And that's then, terrible. and then another big bummer is you scratch a lot of things with it because it turns out mm. the ceramic one is very sharp. Uh, so <laughs> if you brush up against a wall, it will chip the wall. If you brush up against a car, it will chip the car. And so you, you'll if notice if you have a
1: vendetta against someone, that's pretty easy. You just yeah, you'll walk notice car. because
0: it Oops. it accumulates in this little like groove right here. You have car paint oh. now, um, and then you know you know what you just did um so those are some downsides of the ceramic model if if you needed any to help convince you all right
3: well here i've got another solution for you which is uh be cheap and just get a sticker that looks like it's ceramic because <laughs> i'm a poser I need a picture of that
0: i need a picture of that that's really <laughs> yes, excellent I'll send you one. also it doesn't scratch you just replace the sticker every now exactly
3: <laughs> <laughs> it was like 15 dollars man well you
2: know what I'm really mad about is that the so I have a series five, I didn't even get the series six. I'm probably gonna upgrade the seven, but uh but like I'm really mad that they always release the cool colors after I've already bought one. So like that happened with the iPhone the red mm-hmm. iPhones for many yeah. generations. I finally got I finally got to buy a red iPhone on launch day, except that it's not really red. <laughs> like it's the, the the metal. See also rails are, the pink iPhones, right? yeah but it's like oh, it's like more of like a pink peach than a right. that red. sucks so i just put the red case on it it's like well at that point i can just get any phone yeah. uh, but then they, <laughs> the camera they was red the, yeah they well, released the the um the red watch uh but it, it was released out hmm. of cycle
0: right it wasn't part of the i think I'm it came sure. out with it, it they Did had it? the blue one and the red one and that was like the special maybe thing. that is right I but remember. I wasn't ready to upgrade. It was just, anyway, the point
2: was, it's like they, they always bring the weapons out when I'm not ready to upgrade. <laughs> it's really frustrating. Uh,
1: but yeah. And then I, I think we, we all agree on this, but I think I still need
0: to ask, uh, is it just iPhones? Yes. Oh, you mean there's no new Mac pro? Like this is not the Mac pro event. I'm just no, begging like for that, it. They, they never point. do that. I don't know why people think that that's a thing. Okay. I mean, wait, they...
1: wait, wait. Yeah. So sorry, sorry to interrupt you. Uh, Sorry, we no iPhones. All talk. <laughs> <laughs> It's all home. <Homepots. laughs> we talked. We talked about this like maybe six plus months ago. Are the new iPhones uh, on the M architecture or mm. are they on the A architecture? Oh,
0: A fifteen. Yeah, I'm. I, I mean, does it really matter? It doesn't. The
1: same it matters thing. for the, it doesn't for the podcast, really matter.
2: <laughs> it doesn't really matter. That would be really interesting if they brought out the thir- iPhone, what is it, thirteen, and it was running on the M1 or an M1 variant. That
0: would not be an improvement, though, because it's the no, same yeah. chip as right. the A.
2: Yeah, exactly. Or M M2 or whatever.
1: Just you know, whatever. say like, the
3: A15 is the same performance, has the same performance yeah. as the M1. You're good.
0: Mm-hmm. But,
1: but it,
3: yeah,
2: it feels Why did they even do that? Right? Why did they? Why
0: did they even? create a separation like that well I think because it was the for list? the mac chip but then they yes. blurred yeah. that line when they made the ipad but then did not update yeah. the ipad to be any more mac like and i think right. that was a huge missed opportunity like yeah. Yeah. either just use the m1 but call it the a14x like just for marketing if you don't want to have people be hopeful uh and then yeah. they won't be hopeful they'll just be like cool it's a new faster uh like ipad and it has thunderbolt like neat." um but now it's it's like such a missed opportunity to have visibly improved the iPad, but they didn't, and yeah. now it's I like agree. a super blurry line. So yeah, why not? And the next iPhone has an M two in it. Like there's no rhyme or reason at this point. Um, yeah, yes, yeah.
3: not.